from the Cyber Hub Bunker and Studio. You're tuning in to the Cyber Hub Podcast. And now for your host and CISO, James Azar. Good morning, security gang. Welcome to another episode of Cyber Hub Podcast. It's great to be with all of y'all this morning back in the studio. After a few days where I pre-recorded the show, posted it, I didn't get the energy I get from being with all of y'all live. So good morning to everyone. Thank you for tuning in this morning. We've got a packed show with a lot to talk about today. So let's get into the program. But before we do that, if you haven't checked out our Substack, please make sure to check out our Substack. Um, Our new series going on Substack is the new kill chain. And it's a really deep dive for a lot of practitioners. And it's it's a deep dive into what the old Lockheed Martin kill chain was all about, kind of how we viewed it several years ago, maybe three, four years ago to what the kill chain looks like today. And we really, uh, I go into depth, I break it down, um, and then and give some really good examples of, of how your security operations team can really embrace the new kill chain. So tune into that. That series will be dropping next week. Can't wait to share that with all of y'all. Now, without further ado, join me for my double espresso coffee cup. Cheers, y'all. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Uh, whoever is watching us live on YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, now X, Twitch, Rumble. Thank you all. Uh, yesterday, we let off with Schneider Electric's ransomware uh, attack. We now know that, and, and we said this a little bit on, on the show yesterday, it, it impacted their sustainability business division. Um, it, it did result also in a data breach and not just a ransomware, which is typically the case. They're, they're kind of hand in hand, right? There's exfiltration of data. Then there's ransomware. They hold that data at ransom and, and say, if you don't pay us, then we're going to release it and so forth. Now, the one thing about Schneider Electric's ransomware attack that's currently ongoing only to its sustainability business division is no one's really claimed responsibility. We think it's Cactus. It seems like Cactus, but they haven't been listed on the Cactus site yet. So Schneider Electric is saying the attack did impact a resource advisor and several other systems used by this division. It expects access to business platforms and operations to resume within the next two business days. The attack was discovered on January 17th, and the company's investigation is ongoing. Some evidence suggests that the attackers had accessed data, including some customer information. Um, so because the Cactus hasn't listed these guys yet, we'll, we'll wait to see what went and kind of how this develops here. Um, nonetheless, again, best practice to take away from Schneider Electric, every division, every division is segmented. They're not interconnected, really. They operate under the same name, but their networks are almost their own islands. And that's what's really probably limited the impact of this breach for, these, for, for Schneider Electric and really built resiliency as we're seeing right now. Um, so good work by the team over at Schneider Electric. My home county of Fulton County, Georgia, is dealing with an ID outage caused by a cyber attack over the weekend. I have actually been oblivious to the fact that my county is going through a cyber attack. And I say that because I didn't feel it. I don't really like interacting with government. <laughs> especially Fulton County, Georgia. Uh, and it's the largest county in the state. Um, but they're going through an outage. And, and if y'all remember, uh, you know, the city of Atlanta went through a pretty significant ransomware attack. These guys should have muscle memory. The impact here is it's predominantly on the office phone system, some online transactions. 
and then some issuing of firearm and marriage licenses. So if uh, people were hoping to get married this week, you know, they can, they've got a few more days to think about the ball and chain. Can I'm kidding. Marriage is great. You, you definitely want to get married. Um, so at this point, uh, they're confirming that it's a cybersecurity incident. Reached out to several people I know within the county. Here's what I can tell you. It's a, it's a, uh, uh, it, it was an attempt at a site, uh, at a ransomware attack. Apparently they were able to mitigate most of the impact of the ransomware attack. It really impacted predominantly their IT systems, uh, specifically key, uh, systems around the phone system, the court system, and the taxing system, uh, which again, you know, I'll take two of those being fine, get the court system back up and online and, and we'll be okay. But if the tax system went down, I won't see any people complaining. Um, so this this also did impact the DMV, the driver services uh, in Georgia. They don't call it the DMV, they call it the DDS, um, the Department of Driver Services. Uh, they've also been impacted. Uh, several libraries were also impacted by that. And the Fulton County Tax Commissioner in downtown Atlanta, that office was closed on Monday. So there's that. But they should have this muscle memory. Uh, you know, next door, I mean, I, I, I live in Fulton County, but I'm literally on the border of two additional counties. Um, and I can tell you, you know, Forsyth County dealt with something very similar. They're literally 10 minutes up the road. Um, and so just say, you know, here's a ransomware attack. It's local. It's it's on uh, state government. And by, by the way, Fulton County is not a broke county. It's the one of the richest counties in Georgia. Um, so, you know, the, this type of attack um, shouldn't be attributed to lack of knowledge. Fulton County went through this with the city of Atlanta. So just saying there's, there's, there's little excuse for, for failure here. This is a significant story y'all. And, and it's really kind of not getting a lot of attention, but a GitHub token leaked by a Mercedes Benz employee provided access to all the source code stored on the car makers, GitHub enterprise servers. Uh, according to red hunt labs, the token, which was discovered during an internet scan was leaked in the employees, GitHub repositories. It provided an unrestricted and unmonitored access to the source code. The breach occurred on September 29th of last year, but was not discovered until January 11th of this year. So almost four months, Mercedes revoked the leak token 13 days later on January 24th, um, two days after being alerted of the incident. Mercedes-Benz then confirmed the leak. They acknowledged the severity of the situation and took immediate action by revoking the relevant API token. During the exposure period, an attacker could have used the token to access API keys and blueprints, cloud access keys, database connection strings, design documents, files, reports, source code, SSO passwords, and other critical internal information. All of that on a token, y'all, and one token. Talk about that. Impact from the data breach, the firm says, could have gone beyond the extensive IP exposure. It could also have significant financial implications and could lead to legal violations and potential reputational damage. The leaked GitHub token for Mercedes-Benz GitHub's enterprise server opens a gateway for potential adversaries to access and download the entire source code of the organizations. Delving into the source code could expose highly sensitive credentials or potential vulnerabilities in the Mercedes-Benz systems altogether. Palo Alto had warned the threat actors were observed harvesting IM credentials leaked in public GitHub repositories within minutes after exposure. This was in October of 2023. So all in all, Mercedes have their hands full with this leak, and we'll see what kind of impact it'll have on the business there. Um, so there's that. 
Treasury on Tuesday announced sanctions against two cybersecurity experts accused of running a platform that's affiliated with the Islamic State group, also known as ISIS. The sanctions against both Egyptian nationals, one of them, Mumin El Maujad Mahmoud Salim, the creator of the platform named Electronic Horizons Foundation. It provides cybersecurity training and guidance to ISIS supporters. What a nice guy this Mumin guy is. I mean, really just world class. Uh, the platforms offers information on conducting cyber operations, including evading law enforcement and working with crypto. The second individual is uh, Mumin El Mauji's partner, Sara Jamal Muhammad El Said, who allegedly helped run the EHF platform. Sara Jamal recruited other ISIS members to join EHF and procured web servers to host ISIS platforms on behalf of EHF. Sara Jamal collabor collaborated with Mumin. Uh, on EHF projects, including logistical management and crypto support. The two have been added to the FBI's most wanted list, and the agency is offering awards up to $20,000 for their information. Look at this guy. Look at him, y'all. Ain't that a mugshot? Ain't that a mugshot? So the latest rounds of sanctions also target uh, Farouk Guzel, a Turkish national accused of transferring funds to ISIS-affiliated individuals in, Syria's, uh, in Syria. So the sanctions follow a week after additional sanctions were also uh, put against Russian uh, people, but, you know, um, take down their infrastructures. That would also help. The U.S. government, in collaboration with private sector stakeholders, have been quietly working to disrupt the attack infrastructure of Vault Typhoon, a dangerous China-linked threat group associated with numerous attacks targeting U.S. critical infrastructure since at least the mid-2021 Citing multiple unnamed sources on January 30th, uh, um, the reported activity as involving the attempts by the U.S. to remotely disable aspects of the Chinese operation over the past few months, the DOJ and FBI are spearheading the effort after seeking and obtaining legal authorization, according to Reuters. Again, there was a... I'll give you kind of why this is happening, and there's so much bureaucracy in taking down adversarial hacking information. So, President Obama... Uh, in his in, during his tenure in office, made it so that there was no hackbacks. You couldn't really hack back. And if you wanted to hack back, it was almost like a like an act of war. You had to go to the president and get presidential approval to do that. When President Trump was in office for for his four years, he reversed that and he said hack back within reason. And he trusted General Nakasone at the time, who led NSA and Cyber Command, to actually do that. And we saw a lot more uh, proactive kind of take down types of attacks. Then when President Biden came into office, he reversed that executive order by President Trump. So now essentially what's happening is um, they've got to go through a whole legal step in the U.S. to take down Chinese or Russian or Iranian infrastructure, which only slows down our ability to respond. So the disruption efforts uh, purportedly stem from growing anxiety within the intel community about widespread activity, including ransomware by China-linked groups and Vault Typhoon in particular. So the big concern is that the threat actor is helping lay the groundwork for capabilities that would let China disrupt capabilities in the Indo-Pacific region that support or service U.S. military operations in the command uh, while uh, they look at potentially invading Taiwan. And that time window, by the way, for China is closing. Right. The closer we get to the presidential election in November, the less likely China will want to be the issue at the election. So 
China really kind of, I think they've lost that window to act on Taiwan because we're already in primary season. And if, if, if they try to invade Taiwan between now and the presidential election, essentially the whole election turns to what does the U S do? And it becomes who's stronger against China. And we kind of know, um, that that president biden hasn't really been tough with the chinese so so there's that there as well so just something to keep in mind here uh there there were some preemptive strikes there and some disable disabling some of volt typhoon's capabilities new york attorney general uh latita james and suing citibank over its alleged failure to defend customers against hacks and scams and refusal to reimburse victims after allowing fraudsters to steal many millions from their account, this is going to be significant. Um, and, and many people are watching this. And so long story short, city went through a data breach some while ago. They didn't compensate the victims of the violation of the electronics fund transfer act, which mandates the bank reimburse customers that for any funds lost or stolen via unauthorized ECHs, ACHs, sorry, unauthorized electronic transactions. Having been in financial services, I can tell you this is a very, very big deal for many financial organizations. They write off millions of dollars in losses because someone will have their ACH account, they'll have their bank account hacked, they'll get some ACH, they'll lose a few thousand dollars, 10, 15, 20. And so banks are getting a little bit stricter on how they deal with this. So now New York Attorney General uh, Latita James is alleging that Citibank exploited an exception within the regulations that led... Uh, to consumer claims of reimbursement after getting hacked or fallen victim to scams being denied and causing substantial financial loss for New York consumers. Now, she, she her, her case here is 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 edgy. It's edgy because at the end of the day, who's is is Citibank responsible for your money if someone accesses it because they've got that information? Now, you can't prove that that information was caused due to a potential data breach from city. So, so the, 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 the smoking gun isn't there. You could have been someone you, you swiped your credit card with or, or a bad business, or, or you, you bought something online. So all of those do matter. This case is, is really going to have a huge impact on cybersecurity and fraud in the financial industry. As this case goes, we'll see how Citibank decides to address this. Um, City said, you know, in their own kind of way that they're following this and 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 they take this extremely seriously. They've got a world leading uh, fraud team. I, I can tell you they do. Um, um, having worked in the industry and having partnered with City on several stuff over the years, they, they absolutely do. Uh, and 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 you know th they know what they're doing. We'll see how this kind of breaks down. I mean, I'm I'm interested. I'm following this. If you're interested, keep tuning into the show. We'll make sure to cover it. Our final story this morning, sorry, we're running a bit over here, but 750 million individuals' PII is being offered for sale. Uh, 750 million individuals in India's PII is being offered in a dark web sale, the largest of such type. The database, 1.8 terabyte in size, contains PII like names, mobile phone numbers, addresses, and the Adahar details like social security number, uh, essentially, in India. The comprehensive Indian mobile network subscriber database uh, was one of those. Um, so, so this is significant given that this leak is about 85% of uh, India's population. Um, there's some significance to the fact that this is going on sale. What does it really mean? Are we really, you know, are we as practitioners really after the data 
or as we saw in the last two stories, this one and specifically city, did we move away? Like, I'm not saying we shouldn't care about data security. We should absolutely. Data security is important. But should our first line of defense now be identity? And we say identity is the new perimeter. Uh, I've had multiple people on the show talked about this in great detail. And these last two stories kind of raise that debate, bring it up to the surface. Or should we really be focused on identity and and find a, a, a foolproof way to confirm identity before we do that in order to limit impact? Just saying. Just saying. Leaving that out there, especially with this story. That's it for our show this morning. We'll be back tomorrow with a whole lot more. The show is live at 9 a.m. Eastern. Anywhere you uh, watch us on, on Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn, uh, X, Twitch, Twitter, uh, uh, sorry, Rumble, everywhere else, and YouTube. Um, and then you can find it on your favorite podcast listening platform. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you for all your comments. We'll see and we'll get, we'll get to them offline. Have a great rest of your day. And most importantly, y'all stay cyber safe. We love feedback, so make sure to connect with us on social media and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast listening platform.